Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's good to see you. Uh, Missed you. I was gone with some of our church members, and we're on a little bit of a journey through a place called Egypt. And uh, we're able to see some pretty incredible things. As I've always said, if you have an opportunity to go with me on one of these study trips, it helps to take the Bible and make it go from black and white to color. And this trip wasn't any exception. Uh, But this morning, we're here to open the Word. We've received communion, and now we want to receive the Word. And so I invite you to turn to James chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. And I begin this morning with a question. How many of you have ever prayed for healing? I know I have. As I was going through James chapter five, I was thinking back to a time in my childhood. I was sitting in a hospital and uh, was in critical care. My mother was kind of over to my left. And I remember my pulmonologist coming in and visiting. He was there seeing me and talking with my mother. And I just remember him saying, I just really don't know anything else that we can do. When you're sitting in a bed like that, and you're, especially when you're a child, <clears throat> those, those words kind of hit you in a fresh way, right? And so I'm sitting there that night, and I'm knowing, because I'm looking at myself, I usually look at my fingernails at the time, but they were like purple. Uh, my skin was, was more like whitish. I just wasn't getting the oxygen that I needed. And I just remember sitting there as a kid that evening and going, this is probably it. And I really believed it. Now, that said, obviously, I'm standing in front of you, and so it wasn't it. There was more to my story. But I just remember sitting there that evening and saying, Lord, you know, if, if you will, heal me. And so I go to sleep that night, kind of with the expectation, because it just, I, I just couldn't breathe, saying this was it. But I was throwing that one out there to say, if this is something that you want to do for me, I'll receive that. That's why I began with a question. How many of you have ever prayed something like that? It could be for yourself. It could be for a friend. It could be for just someone that you know, that you know is going through an incredibly difficult time. On the other hand, there have been times that I've prayed for specific healing, literally a a deliverance from disease that I have. And frankly, I'm standing here before you, I still have them. So I have this story going back to my childhood where I wake up the next morning and it's like, I wasn't expecting to be here. But also these other prayers that I have that, well, maybe I'm not going to take this away from you. We live in this this time, as we've been talking about prayer, we live in this interesting sort of tension where on the one hand we pray, hopefully with great expectation that God is going to do something that when he does it, the people that see it would say something like, that's only the kind of thing that God can do. And we're going to give him praise for that. On the other hand, we've offered up these other kinds of prayers and someone dies. They're not healed. They're not delivered. The disease is still there. Have you ever felt that tension in your prayer life? Because I know that I have. I know that there have been moments for me where I say, well, why would you answer, why would you provide a miracle story for a person here, but you won't offer the same thing for a person over here. Have you ever felt that way? Even if you read the, the, the gospels, in Luke's gospel, Jesus would go into a village and it said he would, he would heal the people. And then the stories would start to, to come about and people were like, I've got to go over and see this guy. But before they could even get, Jesus had already gone to another place. 
So he heals some, but he wasn't healing everybody. It just brings up questions, doesn't it? Why them? And maybe not why, why not these other folks? Or even why not me? In James chapter 5, he gives some specific instructions to the people of God about the centrality of prayer because you're calling on a power that you don't possess to accomplish something on your own you never could. You're calling out to God to do something that only God can do. And so in chapter five, verse 13, he begins like this. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. That's a pretty good start, don't you think? If you're suffering, what do you do? Pray about it. Help me out here. If you're cheerful, what do you do? You sing the praises. That seems to fit a lot of our life circumstances. We live a lot of both, don't we? Moments where like, Lord, please help me. And on the other hand, moments where it's like, Lord, thank you for what you just did for me. We live in those two things. Now, there are a couple of ways that we could respond to our circumstances. He says, pray and sing praises. Here's what, in verse nine, it's like, don't be complaining. Don't be cursing. That's verse 12, but be praying. The word for suffering, because he says there's anybody who hears suffering, it's pretty vague. It's pretty vague. There's a lot of different ways that we can suffer. We can suffer financially. We can suffer in our family. We can suffer in our career. We can suffer because we're being persecuted. You get the idea. It's a pretty vague term, but all of those bring a specific kind of suffering. But what does he say? Talk with me. Talk with me about this stuff. We've already seen it. What is prayer? Prayer is intimate and honest conversation. Do you hear? Conversation with God. It's the things that you communicate to the Lord who is listening. And then that moment of silence because maybe God wants to say something back. It's communion back and forth. You might remember this in Paul's life. You know, here he's talking, James is talking about suffering. You might remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. Now, to be clear, it was some sort of affliction. It wasn't sin. It was an affliction of some sort. It's debated on what it was. Maybe he had visual issues. He writes in one of his letters, see, see with what big letters I write to you. Maybe he couldn't see really well. Some have wondered if he was epileptic uh, because the way that people viewed epilepsy back then, it was almost like demonic. Some have thought that because of his traveling through um, on his missionary journeys, he might have contracted malaria. The bottom line is, is we don't know. But what we do know is that Paul had come to a place where he believed it was getting in the way of the work of God or the work that God had portioned for Paul to do. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 12, would you remove this from me? By the way, perfectly fine for him to say something like that. In fact, he doesn't just say it once. He does it three times. He keeps going back to God. He says, would you remove this from me so that the work of your gospel can advance? What you've portioned from me, get this out of my way. Have you ever prayed anything like that? He did. And God's response, that's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna remove this from you. You're gonna keep it. I'm teaching you a lesson, in other words. I'm teaching you a lesson in humility because of the unique responsibilities and privileges that I'm giving you so your thorn is gonna stay. Your thorn isn't going anywhere. But God does encourage him with these words. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now think about that. I'm not removing this from you, but I will give you grace. 
You would think that the grace would be the removing of it, right? You getting it out of my way, that's a favor that you could have shown to me, but instead you've decided to keep this in me. I'll give you grace. So what is grace? It's the divine power to get you through the situation until such a time that God chooses to remove you from the situation. That is, if God removes it from you at all. Whatever this was, apparently it never left Paul. He got to keep it. And maybe you're looking at a situation in your life and saying, I think that maybe God has done the same for me. He's put me in a situation. I've prayed to be removed from it, but it's evident that he has no plans to deliver me from it. But he will deliver me through it, and that will be the provision of his grace. But we also know this, grace is available at one place, and it's at the throne of God. It's where you go. James says what? If anyone is suffering, you should pray. You need to start talking with God. In the throne of God, that's the only way that you get to it. It's the only way that you get there. In Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Where do you go in your time of need? You go to the throne of grace. In James 4, 6, it even goes on to say, he gives more grace if you will humble yourself and pray. Think about what the humility is. You get to a point where you go, I have to go to him. I have no other resource. I have to go to him. That is a posture of humility. There is one that can do something here, and it isn't me. It is only him. He gives more grace if you'll recognize that and talk to him. Talk to him about where you're at. Talk to him about what you're going through. Remember this in James uh, 5.13. Cheerful, great day, what do you do? Sing the praises. No troubles, sing the praises. Hardship, what do you do? Pray. Great things, praise. Hard things, pray. Sounds like a good thing for us to do on a Monday, I would say. But it's more than just this. It's that for people, for people that really are followers of God, we're supposed to be a people of prayer. His church is built on prayer. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. Notice what he says in verse 14. Is any one of you sick? Call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I want you to think about this. The word for sick, it could mean sick. You're literally sick. It could mean this also. You're just weak. You're just worn out. Ever been there before? Call on the elders of the church to come to you. Invite them over to pray over you. Here's why. It's because the way that the church is structured the elders of the church represent the assembly of the church. That's the way it's structured. They even had the use of, of oil, so maybe olive oil. We're not exactly sure, but in the Jewish understanding, oil had healing properties. So it was to come to meet with the person in a time of struggle and need where they were at to anoint them with something that had healing properties and to go to the throne of grace that God might do something for them. That was what the elders were supposed to do. We even see this in Mark chapter six. It says, they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out demons and anointed many sick with oil and healed them. Do you see it? For Jesus' name had become well known. 
It was practiced even in the gospels. They usually went to where the sick person was. What they didn't say is, let's bring all the sick people to the assembly. It was, let the elders of the church, because they requested it, come to the home, anoint them with oil, and pray for God to do something incredible in their life. Think about that. Pray for the sick, but it could, all just mean, it could also just mean pray for the weak. You just worn out. Your soul is tired. You kind of hit the end of your rope. Here's the good news. If you are a part of a praying church, there's a whole lot more going on around you. There's so much more power going on around you. There's so many more prayers going on around you than the prayers that you have on your own. So when you get to a place where you are so spiritually tired, you feel like I don't have a drip of energy left in me, look around you because you have all of these resources that says we're here. We're here. It could be that your circumstances are beating you down and you're getting weaker because of it. See, when you're beat down, James is telling you, get some spiritual help. Get some spiritual help. And notice what he says, and we do it in the name of the Lord. We call on his name. This is a reference to the person behind the name. It's Jesus. It's like Hebrews 4 said, we approach the throne of grace. Well, who's on the throne? It's Christ. And we're asking him to do something. This has got to be a place of prayer. Churches are not primarily, and I want you to pay attention to something I say here. Churches are not primarily built on programs. It's built on prayer. Did everybody hear what I just said? Now, churches have programs and there's nothing wrong with that. But churches are not primarily built on programs. It is built on prayer. And I don't mean just your run-of-the-mill prayer. It is that you go before God and you're begging God to do something through his people. That's what this place is supposed to be. So why? Why do we pray? I've already given you a few reasons. I'm gonna give you a couple more from James. Look at verse 15 in chapter five. It says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That seems like a good promise. See, one of the reasons that people are sick refers to the weak or weary, not necessarily just sick. I mean, think about it. It can't only just mean that it's talking about a sick person because if you just pray, every time you pray, they get healed up. That seems like a good deal. But we also know in our experience, that's not what happens. There's more to it. And we also know that there are times in scripture where sickness is a God, part of God's purpose. We already saw that for Paul. No, I'm sorry, but you're gonna keep this. Imagine being Paul in that moment and going, but I don't know, I prayed. What else you want me to do? And the answer is, accept what I've portioned for you. They, they will see my strength through your weakness. They will see it. The second meaning though, is that the weary are strengthened by other people's strength as well as by the encouragement of God. The Lord restores you in your weariness. Did you notice here something? He says though, sometimes you're sick because of your sin. Did you catch that in verse 15? You wanna know the source of your sickness? Sometimes the source of your sickness is you are overrun with sin in your life. So I just come back from Egypt. I, I was having this conversation with one of our friends there, one of, who became one of our friends there. And I'm just gonna say it, that person smoked like a chimney. 
I mean, my gosh, it seems to just be a part of the culture over there. They didn't think anything of it. And we were having this conversation, right? He was probably on his fourth cigarette at the time, something like that. And he just kind of looks over at some of us and he goes, don't any of you people smoke? And we were like, no, we don't. And he goes, well, why not? I said, because it kills you. That's a pretty good reason not to smoke, right? And he's just sitting there holding his cigarette. He goes, bah, right? Well, have you ever thought... <laughs> Have you ever thought that maybe some of the reasons that you are afflicted is because you have self-inflicted? Has that ever crossed your mind? Because James is saying in verse 15, you might want to consider the possibility that you haven't taken good care of yourself. That said, there is a condition there. He said, if there is sin, it might explain the sickness. So the healing comes from taking on a new way of life. You walk away from what puts you in the sick state that you're in because Jesus doesn't say, I'm just the truth. He says, I'm a way as well. There's a way that you walk. And in following me, it brings about a whole different pattern of life for you. You put some things down, you put it aside, you take on a whole different way. See, we don't, we don't deal with sin. We keep, what, you know, we keep what makes us weary and weaken our life. And then we wonder, how did I get here? And the answer is, by the choices that you made. By the choices that you made. By the things that you put into your body. This is why Paul, even in Romans 12, he says to give your body as a living sacrifice to God. Why is that? Because some of the stuff that we're doing with it isn't worshipful with what God has entrusted to us. And then you go, how did I get here? By the choices that you made. And the only way that you get out of it is by going to the throne of grace, he says here, for forgiveness from that, and he will, and by taking on a new way of life for restoration. You will find healing in following Jesus that way. Let me give you an example. In Mark chapter two, there's a healing of a paralytic man. He can't move, by the way. He's paralyzed. So it's not his strength that's gonna get this guy to Jesus, right? He's, he's just gonna lay there. But his friends take him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith in Mark chapter two, Jesus was responding when he heals this man to the faith of the entire group, not the paralytic. It was a manifestation of faith from the people that said we're taking this man to a man that can do something for him. Here's, here's why I'm saying this, is sometimes you have people taking you to Jesus when you can't get there yourself. And aren't you thankful that you got people that will do that for you? They will take you to the place of healing. That's the why, that's why we do it. But that said, there's something that you need to do before you start talking with God. Look at verse 16. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Did you catch something that we need to be doing at the beginning of our conversation with God? For lack of better words, we need to be clearing the air, right? We need to be clearing the air. Confess your sins to him. But did you notice here in verse 16, to each other. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have done that lately? Here's why I bring it up. is because we, we need the support of those around us to hold us accountable for the things that we're struggling with. 
I, I want everybody to take a look to your right, which is that way. Now I want you to take a look to your left, which is that way. All right, now look at me. Everybody you just looked at is a sinner. <laughs> and you looked at me. I said, look at me, right? Everybody you just looked at is a sinner. Every single one. It's different. Our struggles are probably different. That's fine. But do you have that person in your life that is godly, that is wise, that can, that can hold a confidence when you share something that you're going through or something that you're struggling with? Do you have that person in your life that can call you and say, hey, how are you doing there? See, we need to talk to God because Jesus is the one that ultimately forgives. We talk to those that are around us because those are the ones that can help hold us closer to him. You get it? That's why James says this the way that he does. And notice what he says, the prayer of a righteous person. Where do you go to confess sin and to get help with sin? Go to him, go to others. People that are strong in the faith and you can lean in on them. Spiritual people that talk to God. By the way, not necessarily your best friend. They may not be the most spiritual person around you. Notice what it says. These kinds of people, their prayer is powerful. It's where we get dynamite. I was thinking about it. It's like a toy. Uh, this was some years ago. I, I remember it was Christmas. We had done all the toys. We had put them out there for the girls and everything. It was time for them to play with them. Everything's opened up and whatnot. And there was one, one toy that when, when the girls started to play with it, it didn't work. And I'm sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. It, be, the reason is, is because I get to spend most of Christmas Eve getting everything together. You know what I'm talking about, parents, right? Now, why wasn't it working? Well, it was because in a moment of brilliance, I forgot to put the batteries in. That was why. So I've got a little girl sitting there with a new toy that absolutely isn't working. Like, well, let me take a look at it. And so you know how you turn around <laughs> and you look at it and you go, you've got to be kidding me. There are no batteries in this thing. I thought it did everything. It's exactly the same way when it comes to your prayer life. The toy's got to have the battery in it. You got to have the power in it. Uh, did you notice there, sin breaks the connection of the battery to power the toy. This is what James is trying to say. You have powerless prayers is probably because you're eaten up with sin. You have broken it off. He says, so talk to God about it. Be real about it. Call it what it is. Many of our prayers accomplish absolutely nothing because of the sin that's hindering what it is we're trying to say to God. I'll give you one example. Even if you were to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what he says. How you treat your spouse can hinder your prayers. Not treating your spouse well, God might not be listening to you. Did you catch that? In other words, here's the way of saying it. God might be looking at you and saying, maybe you first want to start with what I've already told you to do, and then you can start coming back to me because the air is cleared. So we already see this in scripture that there are a number of things that will block the flow of power and makes our prayers absolutely ineffective. And this is why James says what he does. Start confessing. Get out of the way. And then move on with the things that are in your heart. Get vertical before you start getting horizontal. It will change things in the way that you talk with God. Let me give you a closing example from James about the power of prayer. You see this in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it, would, that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. 
That's a pretty powerful prayer, don't you think? Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. That's another pretty powerful prayer. Do you see how James described Elijah here though in verse 17? That's a normal guy. Did you catch it? He was a person like us that did incredible things through prayer. Here's why, is he prayed earnestly, which means he prayed desperately. Desperately. It was coming from his heart. It was bleeding out from his soul. God was knowing what was honestly going on inside of this man, and it wasn't a game. He meant it. And in a prayer, if you think about it, Israel was in sin. God was gonna judge them because of it. And in a prayer, he prayed that God would close up the heavens. That's a big thing to ask for. And to hold them closed until he requested otherwise. And God says, I'll do that. I'll do that. And his prayer, just so you know, he was praying scripture. Because it was from Deuteronomy 11. When you fail me, I will close up the sky. But when you turn to me, the rain will come and your crops will begin to grow again. Did you notice something about Elijah? His prayer was really specific. Are your prayers specific? And when it came time for the rain to return, he prayed for it seven times, scripture says in 1 Kings 18. He just kept going back to God saying, now bring the rain, now bring the rain. And he prayed expectantly that God was going to do something. He kept coming back. Paul says it three times. Elijah comes back seven times with expectation. Here's what you see in James chapter five. I, th I think a number of things. What God wants from his people in the way that we pray. We're beggars. We're beggars. But we're also calling out to a God that is good, that loves us and wants to bless us. And so we pray expectantly that that's what God is going to do. I'm reminded of this story. Some of you might've heard of Annie Flint Johnson. Maybe not. But by the age of six, both of her parents had died. You can imagine how difficult that is. In her teens, she developed arthritis and had lost the use of both of her legs because of it. And in a, a reflection, she wrote something down that I wanted to share with you this morning. He giveth more grace as burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and he giveth and he giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Question for you this morning. Are you a little bit tired from life? Let others pray for you and with you. Tired from the sin and the weariness that comes with it? Give that to Jesus. His grace is sufficient. It's what you need. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.